So if you're on the, um, if you have an outline, you don't necessarily need an outline. You need a Bible more than an outline. Uh, we're in, uh, on the 2C, little Roman numeral 3, 1C, Deuteronomy 4, uh, 24. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, verses 10 to 22, uh, 10 to 15, uh, especially dealing uh, with the poor. Uh, well, 10 to 22, dealing with the poor. Uh, 16 looks like it's um, randomly inserted. If not, we'll talk about that when we get there. But uh, remembering, since we're kind of in the middle um, of a lecture, all of little uh, Roman numeral threes intended to go together. Um, remembering that what we saw last week was uh, Lord said that uh, if they were faithful, they would not have any four. And then he told them that they would have four, uh, which is a reminder that we are, uh, we are not faithful. And so his giving them instruction about being merciful to the poor who are among them comes in the context of a reminder that the fact that there are poor shows that God is being patient with them. Uh, because uh, although he might destroy them for their sin, and uh, he does warn them about exile that would come uh, if they persist in their uh, sinfulness, and it did, and it happened. Um, although he might destroy them, uh, he is very, very patient with them. Uh, we're um, almost up to Psalm 78, and they're working through the Psalms, uh, and we'll see for you know, extended repetitions in Psalm 78 uh, how God over and over again uh, showed patience. He was slow uh, to anger, slow to punish uh, his people. Uh, and we too may be grateful for that. Uh, Lord, when we are honest before God, every time we come before him, we realize he's been merciful and patient with us, uh, and that he's continuing uh, to be so. So that has helped uh, put in perspective the instruction that is given with uh, respect to the poor. One of the things that we're uh, really going to see here now is that it's, uh, especially among uh, brothers, but not just uh, among brothers. We've, we've seen uh, a distinction, a priority uh, on those who are brethren, uh, even above uh, for those who are uh, foreigners among them. Um, but for all of them, there's not just the concern uh, of meeting needs. Uh, there's a concern for preserving dignity uh, and privacy and uh, and even comfort. Uh, so verse 10, when you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. Okay, so they weren't uh, allowed to charge uh, a brother interest uh, or to lend to him in order to uh, make money off of him. Uh, but they could take uh, something as security or deposit. Uh, the assumption uh, here, maybe we should... Uh, uh, we should just go through verse 13 and then we'll finish uh, explaining. Uh, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside. And the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. 
If the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down, that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before Yahweh your God. Um, so you notice uh, the uh, extremity to which the brother has gone before uh, he borrows from his neighbor. This is not uh, the idea that everyone uh, should have uh, equal standard of living, equal outcomes. The, this is someone who is literally down to his overcoat. Uh, he, uh, in whatever providence from God, it's not necessarily even uh, by his own necess- necessary, not even necessarily by his own mishandling, uh, but in whatever providence uh, of God, he has used up his resources. Uh, the one thing uh, that he has is his overcoat, uh, and the the man who is lending to him uh, is uh, taking that overcoat during the day uh, uh, as a, uh, as a reminder, as a security that uh, whatever the whatever the one who's borrowing makes, his first obligation uh, is to repay his debt, um, uh, and yet. Uh, the, the lender is not to go into his brother's house. You know, the language there again. Uh, when you lend your brother anything, uh, he is not to act as a lord over him. He is, not, uh, he is to preserve his brother's dignity, uh, preserve his brother's privacy. Um, when we have the, uh, the sharing or, or the distribution of that which has been given for the for the sake of sharing and the diaconal ministry of, uh, of the church, uh, this is one of the things that the deacons are going to want to uh, especially watch out for, and not necessarily just they don't go into its house. You know, that's an action based upon principle, uh, and the general equity of that principle is going to have uh, a lot of uh, specific things that you do or don't do, things that you say or don't say, um, in order to preserve a brother's dignity uh, and in order to preserve uh, a brother's uh, privacy. Uh, and so the, uh, uh, the picture in verses 10 uh, to 11 uh, is telling. Uh, the, the man who uh, has come for the security waits outside. The, the poor man who is down to his last overcoat uh, is... Um, still, as it were, king of his own uh, castle. Uh, and then in verses 12 and 13, and uh, we've seen this already when we were uh, thinking about the, the uh, you know, what we call the book of the covenant, that uh, those instructions that the Lord gives Moses uh, on Sinai between the, the giving of the Ten Commandments uh, and then the covenanting ceremony on the mountain uh, with, uh, with the 70 elders and Aaron and his uh, sons and so forth, uh, that we are always to be interacting with one another out of, uh, in the awareness that we are before the face of God. And we are to be more concerned with what God thinks of us even than what our brother thinks of us. And that the, the biggest difference that what our brother thinks of us makes is that our brother is interacting with God. Uh, and 
So uh, verse 13, you shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. But as he tucks himself into the garment that every day he is reminded uh, that he doesn't have the resources to maintain this to himself, but, uh, but you lent to him uh, and he tucks it around him. He knows what? He knows I have a God who has commanded that my brother who loaned this to me would do this. Uh, and uh, bless God for his merciful laws that are unlike anything uh, that the world comes up with. Uh, that my brother would care, uh, not just about my privacy and my dignity, but even my comfort, that I'd be warm at night. Uh, bless God that not only did he give commands, but he actually gave me a brother who obeys his commands. Because we know uh, that this, of course, was not uh, continuously perfectly obeyed. Uh, what we read in the history of God's people, especially in the Old Testament, and what many of us have uh, have experienced, sadly, uh, in the in the church in a time of uh, really low knowledge of God, life uh, of Christ by His Spirit in the visible church, uh, is that a lot of what God says to his people to do uh, doesn't get obeyed. Uh, but God says he pays attention to whether or not it gets obeyed, and he pays attention to uh, whether his people are comforted by the fact that their brothers and sisters are obeying him, uh, or whether they are grieved and injured by the fact that their brothers and sisters are acting like the world acts. Uh, and so God says, here's what's in it for you. There's no interest in it for you. There's not even the security of the deposit that's in it for you at night, but you get something better at night than you do during the day when you hold the man's overcoat. Because at night, when the man is tucking himself into his overcoat, he's blessing the God who has redeemed for himself a people and given them laws like this and has given him a brother among those people who's obeying those laws and he can literally feel the warmth of it inside the overcoat. And he's actively interacting with God that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you. Uh, this is said over against uh, what the poor man or the foreigner in verse uh, 15 is doing when he doesn't get paid on time. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and read verses 14 to 15. You shall not oppress a hired, man, hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and do not let the sun go down on it for he is poor uh, and has set his heart on it lest he cry out against you to Yahweh and it be sin to you. Okay, so there's a different picture of a man laying on his bed at the end of the day. He worked hard all day but he didn't get paid that day like he should have. And now he's crying out to God and it's not blessing, it's curse. And the Lord is listening to that too. Uh, one of the things that this assumes children, uh, and I hope it's something that you learn earlier in life uh, than God and his mercy and patience with me, really. It's my fault, isn't it? It's all of our sins, it's our own fault. Uh, is that you learn earlier in life that, than I did uh, to keep that uh, ongoing conversation with God in your heart. Uh, 
uh, th those set times of prayer that you have when you have your personal devotions or when daddy is leading you in family worship or when we gather at the midweek meeting and are led by one man after another and uh, in corporate prayer or when we have corporate prayer on the Lord's day, that the praying of those times is helping you shape uh, the manner of your interacting with God all the time. Notice these passages just assume that uh, if you're awake on your bed at night, you are going to be uh, interacting with God. We've seen that several times, and we're going to continue to see it a few more times before we uh, come to the end of the uh, end of the Psalms. Uh, that when we are um, uh, on our beds at night and uh, we are not yet asleep, we are especially to be praying. But we recently, not too long ago, First Thessalonians five, uh, we're reminded that we are to pray continually, um, and so uh, there's an assumption here. Uh, and then, if we are doing that, then one, another assumption here uh, is that uh, when your mom or dad or brother or sister or brother in Christ or sister in Christ in the church uh, is kind to you. Uh, that one of the reasons for remembering that kindness is not just so that you can be kind back to them in your interaction with them, but so that you can remember that kindness to God and remember that he was being kind to you when your brother or sister was kind to you and bless his name for that and remember to bless his name for your brother or sister as well so that we may have a culture uh, in your house, first of all, your house, a little church, the first uh, and most continual church uh, assembly that you're a part of. God assembled it by uh, whom he made to be the mom and dad and which kids he chose to put in that home. Um, uh, but that you would have a culture in your house and a culture in the church uh, in which we are looking for reasons and giving one another reasons to bless the name of God. Uh, even knowing that even if you were selfish, which you are, which is one of the reasons why it's merciful of God to give us uh, such incentives, um, uh, but even if you weren't trying uh, to be selfless, just out of self-interest, you would want to give others as much reason to bless God for you and for what you had done as, uh, as possible. So when your internal selfishness arises and you say, I would really have wanted to keep that for myself, then you, by the new nature that is in Christ and killing that internal selfishness, you tell yourself, but it isn't, isn't it better to have the smile of God than to have had that garment in your house that you don't even need because you have your own overcoat? Isn't it better to have the smile of God than to have had more time with whatever the device is that you are fighting over so that you could melt your brain more than your sister could. Isn't it better that you would have the smile of God? Uh, and so there's this focus on um, the mercy of God reflected uh, in how we interact with each other and provoked more mercy, more blessing, provoked by how we interact uh, with one another. But when you read the book of Acts and you see uh, the formation of the diaconate and what happened uh, afterward. Uh, there was a great revival 
uh, or a great, um, I guess the church hadn't uh, sunk uh, backslidden at all, but there, uh, there was a great outpouring of the Spirit and conversions, even among the priesthood, especially among the priesthood, uh, after the ordination and in, uh, installation of the first diaconate. Uh, one of um, one of Timothy's great concerns in First Timothy, as we've uh, been going through it, and he's been left in uh, in Ephesus to uh, re put the church back into order, to ordain uh, a, a new slate of elders who are going to be according to the qualifications uh, that Christ has instituted to fulfill the duties the way Christ has instituted them. Uh, and the new diaconate, First Timothy three, is part of what he's doing. Why? Because the deacon who serves well gets himself a, a good witness before God. And that's why the church that is, is the pillar and buttress of the truth needs to have deacons who hold the mystery uh, of the faith uh, with a clear conscience. Uh, the mystery of the faith you know, up there, in, uh, I think, is about verse 9 of 1 Timothy 3 being repeated as the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy 3.16. And you're blessing Jesus, God in the flesh, uh, uh, justified in the spirit, uh, appeared to the preachers, the messengers, most translations say angels, uh, proclaimed among the nations, uh, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And he is getting honored in part how? Because there's a new diaconate ordaining, uh, who are overseeing a renewed ministry in the sharing of material things in a way that shows that God the Son, who is confessed that way in 1 Timothy 3.16, is really doing this transforming work among the people whom he has redeemed by his blood. Okay, so the, the principle, the dynamic behind the mercy ministry within the church in Israel, Deuteronomy 24, continues in the ministry that we have to one another that the deacons are to be overseeing in the church now. 1 Timothy 3. Um, continuing on, Deuteronomy 24. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin, now, I know that there are, uh, you know, before and after the, the passage uh, that we're in, there are a number of, uh, of different commands. In fact, I see here in my New King James, um, you know, this is one of the places where the editor guys, um, you know, don't really earn their salary that week, and they just slap miscellaneous laws uh, as a subtitle over a section, right? Um uh, and he is moving uh, from subject to subject, but he hasn't changed subjects yet in verse 16, which we can see uh, by the subject in verse 17 to 22. Uh, one of the reasons uh, for putting this here uh, is that that which uh, uh, applies to the forfeiture of life uh, also applies to the forfeiture of property. One of the ways that people become poor, uh, especially after what we, we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, is uh, by uh, fathers not remembering and considering it a duty 
to lay up and provide an inheritance for their children, a good start for their children. Um, if we're following um, you know, Paul's instruction to the, uh, to the Thessalonians um, uh, about uh, everyone needing to be diligent, if we're following uh, his instruction elsewhere, I think it's Ephesians, that the thief should no longer steal, but work hard with his hands so that he may have something to give to his brother in need. If that's true with respect to your brother in the church, then the apostle who by the same Holy Spirit says, if anyone fails to take care of his own household, 1 Timothy 5, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. One of the main reasons that you should be working hard, uh, young men, uh, is so that when the Lord gives you children, you may not only have something for yourself and to give to your brother in need who's in the congregation, which is, uh, which is one of those new desires that the Christian has from the Holy Spirit, but that you would especially lay up for your own household. Now, one of the, one of the things that happens, however, uh, is, as we've been saying and as we've all experienced is that God's people have uh, a your results may vary experience uh, not just financially but financially as a result of the godliness or lack thereof or uh, or follow through on behalf of a daddy and it may be that one of the reasons that your your brother is poor is that his daddy uh, was not so diligent as yours but you are not to look down upon your brother for that reason. If part of the providence in which he came to be needy enough that you had to lend to him uh, was that uh, your daddy got you, uh, you know, laid some up for you and provided you with skills and training and looked out for your opportunities uh, and he didn't, then see to it that you're a blessing to your brother rather than despising him because of something that his father had done. Just like you wouldn't execute him for a capital crime that his father committed. Okay, so when, and this often happens in the scriptures, especially, you know, one of the places that uh, the Lord's really going to stretch you in understanding his word is Proverbs. But quite often when, uh, when you have a parallelism in Proverbs uh, and one part doesn't seem to go with the other part. Uh, you are not being called to slap the label miscellaneous laws over the text. Uh, you are being stretched by God to see the connections uh, between the things that he has put together. Uh, and the fact that verse 16 comes here between verses 10 through 15 uh, and then verses 17 through 22 uh, helps us uh, and helps us in a way that is really very practical. Um, we'll, we'll take the extra time. I feel like I'm in a hurry to, to get new deacons. Um, but one practical way, kids, is not every kid, not even every kid in the church has the same instruction that you do. Uh, one of my children uh, one day uh had a dust up in the park and I think it was four maybe still three no I think it was four and he tried to do Matthew 18 
with the with the kid that he had to dust up in the park with. Um, you know, explain to him, I you you did this, uh, you know, or, and or I did this, and you did that to me, uh, and here's uh, and the Bible says that that's wrong because it breaks this commandment. Um, and did not get the uh, response that he wanted. And we were talking about it later that night. And he did, I tried to explain to him, you know, most kids your age don't have a clue what Matthew 18 says to do about resolving conflicts. Uh, why, do, why don't their daddies teach them? Well, a lot of kids your age don't even have a daddy. And the ones who do, most of them, their daddy doesn't know what Matthew 18 says about resolving conflicts. Why don't their pastor teach them? Well, most of them don't have pastors. And the ones who do, their pastors maybe don't know and usually don't teach them. Well, doesn't Jesus say? Most of them don't even know Jesus. Four-year-old discovers for the first time experientially, I'm sure he's heard it before, there are people in the world who don't know Jesus. And in God's mercy to him and you know, convicting his daddy, that suddenly became the most important thing in the conversation. You have to go. You have to tell their, teach their pastors. You have to go and, uh, and teach all, all the daddies to teach their kids and the kids who don't have daddies you got to go to their house, uh, and in his you know, little worldview, he said, um, because I, I said, I'm trying to do that, but most people don't let me into their house. Uh, he said, well, I'm going to become FedEx driver because then everybody's going to have to let me into their house, and I'll just bring my Bible. <laughs> well, that's true on less of a macro scale with everyone to some extent. As we interact with one another in the church, not everybody had your daddy. A lot of people have had daddies that deserve to be executed, but we live in a culture that doesn't execute daddies at the rate it should. Just straight up before God. But even in the church, not everyone has the instruction that you have had. There is to be grace and dignity and patience extended. Uh, understanding varies um, uh, with with one another. Uh, anyway, let's try and finish at least uh, letter C. Uh, you shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's pledge. Uh, if she's a widow, she doesn't just get to keep it at night, she gets to keep it all day. Um, that's extra dignity given to widows. We're about there in First Timothy 5, if you're tracking uh, in those readings. And it's probably more needful. If she's a widow, she might just be uh, old and get cold a little easier than most. She might need that garment during the day. But you see the, um, uh, you see the care uh, concerning God's problems. There's a stranger um, who doesn't have a Jewish father, doesn't have an Israelite father, hasn't been instructed properly. The fatherless one, the father has been taken from them um, uh, uh, before his time, as we would say, although 
we understand uh, the perfection of God, the wisdom of God's providence, uh, nor take a widow's garment as pledge. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and Yahweh your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. You have a compassionate God, be a compassionate people. Uh, when you reap your harvest in your field and you forget a sheep in the field, you shall not go back to get it. This is beyond the gleaning laws, right? Um, we often remember the, the gleaning law. Uh, this is, uh, you forget, it also covers, you have so many that you uh, you couldn't carry them all. Um, so, uh, you know, that would be a, uh, you know, jackpot for uh, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Not just gleaning, but uh, an assembled sheaf uh, left in the field for them. Why? That Yahweh your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So stranger, fatherless, or widow uh, hits the jackpot. Uh, they're not gleaning now. They're carrying home an entire sheep. And how do you think they feel about that? Or are they not saying, oh, thank you, Lord, for the abundance of your mercy today. They're like Ruth when she gets home, uh, you know, that first night to Naomi. Uh, and she is loaded down with more than enough for the both of them. And they're blessing the name of God together. Isn't it better for you to have someone blessing God on your account? Uh, in that way than if you had, had if you had had one more sheep that you were able to bring in from the field. You see how God trains us even in the disproportion, uh, the variance of his providence to his people and material things. He trains us to consider the smile of his favor as greater than being able to exact every penny or every uh, particle of property that we can have. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Uh, uh, you know, if you're a fatherless child, if you're an orphan kid, that's probably one of your favorites because um, yeah, it's not just within the last 3,000 years that kids love to climb trees. Uh, but now you're climbing trees and you're beating out olives uh, and olives, you know, the oil is uh, is particularly valuable. Harder to leave olives on the tree than it is to leave grain in the field if you're just doing the math as an Israelite. Um, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you uh, to do this thing. And we did finish letter C, um, but we're out of our time. Uh, we're to be a people who live upon the memory of God's goodness to us and are continually blessing his name uh, for the ongoing goodness to us. And we are to be a people who want, on the one hand, to give occasion to others to do the same uh, and to take the occasion that others give us uh, to do the same on their behalf. Uh, so yes, diaconal ministry is oversight of the church's ministry in material things. But what we do with material things is a very spiritually focused 
thing. They are not just kind of the church accountant slash administrators slash financial redistributors. Uh, they are uh, helping in a very practical way the fulfillment of that ministry in the means of grace for the knowledge of Christ that the elders are overseeing. Yes, Christian. Sure, if you'll forgive me for uh, using a, my, myself as a personal example. Um, we have a brother in the church who tells me that he loves my Scottish roots, and uh, to my chagrin, he usually does not mean how Westminsterian I am. He means how frugal. Uh, but he means it, uh, he means it kindly. Uh, and we've had this conversation, this actual conversation before, which is why I'm using it as an example. One of the reasons for frugality is because of the purpose of money. The purpose of money is the enjoyment of God and the care of one's own household that you'd not deny the faith and be worse than an unbeliever. And the care of your brother, first of all, and your neighbor, second of all, do good to all and especially to the household of faith, right? So I work hard to keep as little of our money as possible, to let as little of our money as possible end up in government or corporate hands. Yeah. Not being dishonest, uh, but uh, saving every way that I can and often denying myself um, in order to have more that I can give uh, to the ministry of the church, more that I can lay up for my children, make sure uh, that they are able to pursue the same priorities from the first day uh, of being out on their own uh, and not have to uh, build up in the way that I did because of some stupidity about you know borrowing money for school and those kinds of things, so that they are able uh, to to love their brother in a time of need, to love their neighbor with their money. Um, so frugality values money because of the purpose of the money, which means it doesn't devalue brother or neighbor in order to retain the money. Uh, it, um, uh, it is careful with everything as a stewardship from God. Does that, does that help? I mean, uh, you can't really write a list of rules. This is one of the reasons why we're building yeah, theology view of all of life and how money fits into that from the scriptures. Um, but yes, frugality, I, I think, is important. Maybe not as important as the Dutch people thought where we planted our previous church. Um, but it's, it's definitely... Uh, important for the reason it, it's it's part of diligence 
right? There's diligence in how you earn money. There's also diligence in how you use money. All right. Yeah. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, how we thank you and praise you that you have been merciful to us. Uh, to us who pushed down upon the knowledge of you and your glory, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, and rightly deserve to have your wrath displayed from heaven against all of uh, the unrighteous and ungodliness of our denial of you. And you have not only brought us to faith through the hearing uh, of the preaching of Christ um, and made us, counted us righteous in him, but you have given us to know you and to know your mercy uh, and even to start being conformed to his image, which work we bless your name and ask that you would, as you have promised, complete in us. And as you progress us in that work, we pray, O oh Lord, to see the effect of it um, worked out in how we think of and how we use our money and how we think of our brother and his dignity and his privacy and his co uh, comfort. We pray, pray, Lord, that you would give us lives in which we have this continual interaction with you, seeking to bless your name and make us a people who give one another much occasion for blessing your name. For we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. <coughs>